Hi, I'm Tyler Yules. Welcome to How the Grades Do It. Welcome back, everybody. We're another episode of How the Grades Do It. Super excited about our guest today. We have Jeff Kerchick. He is head of sales at Able, man, go-to-market leader. We're excited to have you today, Jeff. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to chatting with you, Tyler. Absolutely, man. Love to hear a little bit about your backstory, how you got to where you are. Um, I think that'd be helpful for everybody as well. Yeah, sounds good. Um, I think growing up, I didn't really know you know, exactly what I wanted to do. I, I uh, like a lot of young boys, thought I'd be a professional athlete and then never had a growth spurt. So I had to actually, you know, <laughs> think about having a career. Um, you know, I went to Princeton for my undergrad and uh, a lot of kids there, obviously, you know, very academically talented folks. They want to become uh, doctors or lawyers or a lot of them go into investment banking and consulting and um, even then, I think I didn't really have a sense of direction. I was thinking of maybe teaching, getting a job in sports, potentially. I was a little bit all over the place, but I remember that there was a kid who had dropped out of Princeton. He had started this uh, startup company, and uh, I remember seeing a job posting for it, and it said something like, the harder you work, the more money you'll make. And that really resonated with me. I got really excited about that because I've always been somebody who has strong work ethic. I love the ball in my hands. Uh, very competitive. I played sports uh, all of my life. I wrestled a little bit in college as well. So I liked this idea that it was in my control uh, to dictate my success. And I ended up taking that job and the rest is history. Uh, I I was very fortunate in that early in my career, I guess it depends how you look at it, but uh, fortunate or unfortunate, but I was often like foisted into roles that um probably wasn't qualified for uh, at the time. And so what it did is it kind of forced me to learn a lot of things earlier in my career. Um, and what I mean by that is like, you know, within a couple of years of graduating from college, I was running a vertical for this company, the higher education vertical, basically by myself and building a small team. And then I ended up, you know, a uh, year after that, leading a, a regional sales team for a company that uh, eventually would IPO um, and so, you know, I, I, I got these experiences in like leadership and um, kind of building things very early in my career and uh, led me to an opportunity. I spent most of my career at a company called Nextcaller. I was the first employee as a startup in New York, Y Combinator company, was there for almost eight years, led it to an acquisition uh, two and a half years ago. And that's when I wrote my book, um, Authentic Selling. Um, for the last couple of years, I've been at, at Able AI. So yeah, that's kind of how I fell into it. And, uh, you know, I've kind of stayed in it and, and, uh, and, and that's pretty much that. Yeah, no, I love that. Right. Like I think, especially early on in your career, giving, you know, somebody believing in you and giving you so much headway to figure things out and learn quick on your feet probably, um, has helped you out a lot in that sense. Like I'd love to hear, um, like what drove you to sales? Like, was it, um, was, was it something that you like always believed in yourself that you could be like a great salesperson or is, is that something that just kind of fell into place after Princeton? Yeah. Um, so I'd, I'd say that actually, uh, and this is probably not a good thing, but you know, my parent, <laughs> you know, I, I think my friends would sometimes give me a hard time because I can be a little bit stubborn and, you know, I, I can be, uh, 
tough to argue with, but in a way they're like, yeah, you should work in sales because like, you know, you really are good at like defending your position. My parents are both lawyers, so that might have something to do with it. I think, you know, growing up with lawyers and, you know, people who, uh, you know, learning about all the technicalities and things like that probably put something in my head. But um, I think part of it was, yeah, like was that, but I've also had a way um, and it's not that I'm, I'm necessarily been like the most popular person. And I'd say a lot of times even far from it, but I've always had a good way of like reading people. Um, yeah. and I, I, I am, I think usually pretty like socially aware of my, you know, uh, up, uh, the, the positives and the negatives about me. And so I think that those are like things that are pretty important in terms of building trust with people, um, and building authentic relationships with others. It's a skill that I think I've always had is like, an ability to try to get along with all different types of people. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think I, I wasn't always planning on this as a, like a career for myself, but the the more that time has gone on, I don't really look at sales as me, like convincing someone to do something. I really view it as like being a problem solver and helping people uh, providing a solution for others and uh, building relationships. I think that that's really the crux of what I do. And I enjoy that. You know, I, I think like, for me, uh, I get much more stressed about signing up a bad customer than, you know, signing up a customer at all. And what I mean by that is like signing up a customer who shouldn't use my product, someone who's going to cause yeah. me stress. And, you know, I don't want to make someone upset. Right. So I think that um, because I have those characteristics, I think because I am, I've been an empathetic person because I am good at kind of, I think, being able to understand how people are feeling um, kind of led me down that path. No, that totally makes sense. And, you know, you talk about being a solution-based seller and making sure that, you know, things are the great fit, right? Like, has has your approach always been that way? Or did, did something happen um, earlier in your career that said, hey, like, this is how we should be selling um, and kind of really shaped your, shaped your approach and uh, really to like the sales process? Yeah, no, I'd love to, I'd love to pretend that I always, you know, kind of had this mentality, <laughs> but I, I, uh, yeah. I had to learn it. You know, and I'd say earlier in my career, like before I was doing enterprise sales, I was in more of a transactional sales environment. And, you know, my whole thing was about working hard. I would, I would, uh, you know, on cold calling days, I would lock myself in a room for eight hours. I wouldn't go to the bathroom. I wouldn't go eat or drink anything. I would just be on the phone. And for me, it was just, I'm going to outwork everybody. I'm going to close as many deals as possible. Um, and, you know, look, there's some benefit to that, but there's also a lot of negatives and a lot of things that I wish I had done differently. Uh, predominantly, it's just like working smarter. And the other thing is really yeah. that it's not about me. It's about the customer and it's about listening. You know, and I used to think that if I was just like charismatic, that I could just sell anything. But um, what I learned was like, you know, it's, sales is really about listening and sales is really about the customer and sales is really about solving a problem for them. And there were many, I, I've learned even recently in my career that it's actually good to get no from a customer, that you shouldn't try to sell it to everyone. It's actually good to qualify out your deals quickly. Um, and it's good for the business actually sometimes not to sell certain deals, even if the customer wants to move forward. Um, yeah. and so these are all things that you learn with time. And unfortunately, you tend to learn them the hard way. You know, you tend to learn that you shouldn't sell to every customer by selling to a customer that you shouldn't have sold to you know, and realizing like, man, this is a pain in the ass, you know, and these guys aren't happy. Yeah. And uh, I had the power, I had the knowledge maybe to avoid this, right. And so, you you know, sometimes you get people that will teach you these things. Sometimes you just learn it the hard way. 
Um, for me, I think it was a little bit of both. You know, I learned I had good mentors, but I also learned through my experience that, uh, you know, just hustle wasn't what sales was about, but there's a lot of nuance and a lot of uh, thoughtfulness behind it and, and, and so on. So, so yeah, I'd say it took me a little bit of time to sort that out. Yeah. I think you're spot on, right? Like, you know, the care is, I would, you call you somewhat like almost like a career salesperson, right? Like we've been doing it a really long time. Like, you know, a lot of times people would say, Tyler, like you could sell ice to an Eskimo, right? Like I'm sure everyone's heard that saying, mm-hmm. um, but reality is right. Like that into your point, right? That Eskimo didn't necessarily need ice. And so I think that's somewhat of what gives salespeople up to this point a really bad name as salespeople, right? Mm-hmm. And I think what you and I are trying to do is change the way that people think about salespeople and, and how we go about that. And I'd love to hear a little bit about like the, the approach that you take to make sure that you're you're doing um, what's right by the customer and making sure that you, you, you know, you're, you're only solution-based selling. Yeah. So in my book, I kind of define it one way, but there's a different way that I would define it maybe in the podcast here. Um, yeah. In my book, I, I kind of say, you know, th- you, to be an authentic salesperson, you really should treat the customer like they're a very close friend or a family member. And the reason I say that is because you tend to be your normal self around those types of people, right? Like around your, you know, wife or your husband or significant other or, you know, best friend or whatever, you don't really need to pretend to be a different type of person. You don't need to manipulate people. And so the way that you act towards those people should really be kind of the way you act towards the customer if you're really trying to be helpful to them. But really the reason that I would define it that way is because authenticity is really about presenting an honest version of yourself. And like I said before, like around people you're comfortable with, you tend to present an honest version of yourself. And so what this translates to with the customer is that you need to uh, really think about what they're trying to solve for, uh, what are their pains, how are they motivated on a personal level, but also on the on the professional level, um, and why, right? And And how you can be like a real partner to them. And I think it's really hard for people to put themselves in that mindset, because let's face it, the customer isn't your husband or wife, they aren't your best friend, right? And so how do you put yourself in that mindset? And what I'm about to say will sound a little bit weird and existential, but but I think it is important. I think what you often need to do is remind yourself of kind of like the insignificance of everything that you're doing. And 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 what I mean there is that like we're literally just specks of dust, you know, in the universe, right? Like we don't know even why we're here or what's going on. Um we we tend to place a disproportionate amount of importance on our on our on ourselves and our lives. It's kind of how we're hardwired biologically as like to preserve ourselves, as to like take everything very seriously. But the more that you're able to detach yourself from the outcomes and realize that like life goes on irrespective of what happens with that customer, the more that you are able to really free yourself of the things and the temptations that will actually hurt you in a selling environment, which is to really just be self-centered and, and, and not centered on the customer. And if you're able to really release yourself from, you know, I, I hesitate to say like those demons, but like if you're, if you're able to free yourself of that problem, you are able to really focus on the customer. You're able to treat them like a close friend. You are able to ask them questions without an agenda. When I say without an agenda, I mean like you're not steering them towards your product. You're just genuinely curious and what I've also found is that 
you know, if you're able to be helpful to that customer, irrespective of the outcome of selling your product, it will come back to you in some good way down the road. There have been times where I have been very upfront with a customer like, hey, I don't think we're a good fit for you right now. And all that did was earned respect and trust so that when that customer was in a good position to buy, they thought of me as somebody who was like a real partner and an honest person that they would want to work with. Um, So I think that that's like the most important thing. It's hard for people because, you know, let's face it, this is how you make money and the more you sell. But the more that you're able to really think about the long term and the bigger picture and detaching yourself from what you want, I've often found that it it actually does end up uh, working for you in a much better way. No, I love that. I love that. And that totally makes sense, right? Like, I think there's vulnerability in being vulnerable with people. And, and the, and the hard part there is being able to connect with people, but people can tell when you're, you're real authentic. And so when you take out the fact that, Hey, I need to hit my number this quarter and Hey, I'm going to be a consultative salesperson to this person only sell when it makes sense. I think people understand and they, and they value that for sure. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, people don't, you know, we've all been on that call for a sales presentation where it feels like they're asking you questions that are on a list or they're asking you questions because they're trying to steer you somewhere. I'll give you an example. You know, I, I hate when people will like cold call me or something and I'm not interested. And then they'll say something like, Oh, so just to make sure like, you know, you're not interested in growing revenue for your business right now or something like that, you know, or like they'll, they'll like say that in an email and it's like, I mean, obviously I'm interested in growing my business. It's like they're trying to uh, manipulate you in in the question. All it does is make you like less likely to want to work with the person because you know that they're not being genuine. Like you would never say that to somebody, right? Like you never ask a girl on a date and get rejected and then be like, oh, so you're not interested in like dating the best person on the planet. Like no one, no one would like Mm -hmm. authentically like behave that way. And so when you see people that are, behaving in ways that are not normal, it just turns you off. You know that they're putting on an act and to your, like what you said earlier, like, you know, sales getting a bad name. I think it's people who do that, that give it a bad name because they're not, they're clearly just not acting normal or like they're not acting in your interest. So, so yeah. Yeah. Spot on there. I think you brought up a good point, right? Salespeople taking customers or prospects through a, a buying cycle or a, or discovery that's not necessarily been the benefit of, of the customer or prospect, right? I think so often we're trying to take them through our process and we need to figure out like, hey, what do we need to understand so that we can bet just is a seek to understand mentality. What do I need to better understand about the prospect so that I can understand, hey, is this even a good fit? Are we on the right track? Am I in the right room, right? And when you take that mentality and you take out, hey, I've got to sell and always be selling, I think we take that out and it's like, hey, I only sell when it makes sense. And yeah. people can appreciate that. For sure. So and what, I think, well, is this one, one quick yeah, one go quick ahead. about that, Tyler, is like, I think, you know, you brought up a really good point. And it's like, you know, a lot of times after I do a demo, like what I'll want to do is pull up with like my champion after the demo as the next step. And what I want to try to figure out is as long as there's some alignment, I want to understand like how they want to buy, right? Like I can, I can give them best practices on how we've been able to work with other customers and like what's worked for us in the past. But I think it's important to, 
to to leverage that as a guide for them so that they have some ideas because they might say to you like hey i've purchased software in the past and this is the way we got it done so like let's do this and you'd be foolish to tell the customer like no you know screw you we're going to do it my way right <laughs> so i think it's important to like you know kind of be a consultant and explain to them some best practices that have worked for you but ultimately let them be the let them hold the steering wheel right and let them tell you uh let them give you information and and you guys come to the the you guys come together to figure out the best path forward so absolutely i think like when you when you put the power into the prospect's hand with the steering wheel say hey you drive uh, and i think as us as consultative salespeople, we're almost like MapQuest or I guess Google Maps at this point, right? Like we'll tell you which way to go that's going to make the most sense. Um, and I think that's really where our place in the market really is, and I think will never be replaced. You know, what would you say to a salesperson that is maybe having a customer that says, "Hey, like I've done my research. I don't want to go through a discovery with you. Um, I just want you to show me the product and give me pricing." Yeah. Great question. So it it kind of depends, but this might sound counterintuitive, but I, I might not actually even show them a demo or a, or do a walkthrough. <laughs> yeah. And look, like, I, here's the thing. You have to keep in context, like what I, what I sell, because I don't know that this is true across all sales environments, especially like more transactional sales where sure. I think showing a demo is actually kind of like expected very early in the sales process. But I sell an enterprise software solution, usually at minimum six figure AC, you know, average contract value. And um, it's, it, it becomes, you know, an enterprise sales is like very complex and very time consuming, a lot of different stakeholders. Right. And if I'm dealing with somebody who's kind of talking like that, then in my mind, then they're, they're almost kind of not really qualified because um, it's hard to explain, but if they're not really willing to share much information based on the complexity of like what we need to do, it's just like very evident that we're not going to be able to service that customer. Like we fundamentally need to know a lot of things about their workflow in order to show them a demo that will resonate with them. Because if their workflow is very different than what we're showing in the demo, then they're just not going to, they're just going to think the demo is a waste of time, which is pointless for them. And it's pointless for us too. Right. So if I have somebody sure. who's coming to me and saying, Hey, I don't even want to spend this amount of time with you in my mind. I'm like, well, then you're not a qualified lead because if you're really serious about solving this problem, you know, you'd be willing to sp spend some time with me and help me make this look really good for you and your team because you're, you need a solution. Right. And so in a way that that's a signal to me, it's like, this is a waste of time customer. That's going to be someone else's problem. You know, maybe my competitor can go service them. That's fine. But to be honest, I'm happy. I'm happy I don't have to work with that person in that scenario, right? Um, and so that's the way I would treat it. But look, uh, that's not general advice. You know, there's a lot of people listening to this. Well, I, I assume people will check this out. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, not everybody's selling like, you know, enterprise contracts and the banks and whatnot, right? It's like sometimes the first step is to just show a demo, you know, for a lot of products. And like sometimes the demo really is just like straightforward for every customer, and sometimes you do get a customer that's done their research and they want to just see a demo. And I think you should just show them a demo, right? Yeah. And so I think like there are times where it's okay. Um, but for like an enterprise sales environment, generally if customers going to uh, talk like that, then they're kind of just not worth, they're not worth doing a demo for. Yeah. 
I think it makes sense, right? Like, I think there's times where it makes sense to say, hey, look, like, <clears throat> I'm going to show you what you want to show you and kind of just get you out the door on your way, right? And that maybe that's yeah. more for a transactional sale. And then there's other times where you say, like, hey, I can appreciate that this is what you expected for this meeting and I'm setting expectations necessarily won't be met. But I don't think this is a good fit. And and in transparency, walk away from a deal rather than sell a product or t- um, go through a process that doesn't necessarily make sense for your product. Right. So to your point, right, maybe it makes it makes sense sometimes and it makes sense. It doesn't make sense other times. But I would say that you should never lose control of your sale and your process. Um, But like, don't I would also say to you, to people out there is don't make your prospects jump through hoops to buy your product. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Like, I think that they're if they're Uh, they're certain. Jeff, so a question for you, man. Um, You've sold to a lot of different customers out there across different verticals like has the approach ever changed um from industry or client or like talk to me through that yeah absolutely i mean i think like uh so i've been selling enterprise probably for like the last decade and you know the the thing that that's interesting is i think you know in every different type of product you sell you have different personas that need to be pleased in some way or another right and so like example and what i'm selling today there's generally like four different types of stakeholders who care about you know different types of things in the deal but i I used to sell a product into call centers you know that was like a fraud and authentication tool and Mm -hmm. so i had stakeholders that that were more focused on like call center people that were focused on like um operational expense and then i had people on the fraud side who actually were just more concerned about security and like, actually, these were like kind of conflicting um, goals because the more uh, security you put in place, uh, the more time it takes to be on the phone, which is like not good from the operational perspective, right? And so I think in every sale, you learn like, who are my personas? Who are my stakeholders? What do they care about, right? And like, oftentimes what they care about are at odds with each other. Right. And so what what then needs to happen is you need to ask yourself, how do I show them that they both win? Right. Like, how can I make them both feel good about this? Because you can't just come in with a message that appeases one of them. Right. Because you, yeah. you can do that. But then they're happy and the other person's pissed. Right. So how do you go in there with a message that says you both win? Because let's face it, these people probably internally are always battling each other. Right. They're, they're very rarely both getting a win. It's usually one at the expense of the other. So yeah. if you can come in there and get both the win, like that's great. And so you need to map out like who are the stakeholders who need to be happy? What do they care about? What's the message that works for them? What's the message that makes everybody happy? Right. Um, and I think that like, you know, in, in in every company you go to, you kind of figure this out, like who's my ideal customer profile? You can start to break out based off of different criteria that you understand, like what makes it a good account what makes it a less exciting opportunity, right? Um, you know, you start spending your time with obviously the ones that are good. How do you find ones that look like them, right? So these are the types of things that I'm generally trying to do anytime I'm in a different place. I'm trying to understand what's the ideal customer profile, what makes an opportunity good, what are the stake, who are the key stakeholders, what makes them happy, what's the message that resonates with them, how do I make them all win, right? Yeah. Um, what are the variables that impact the message, right? So they're not all situations are the same. Um, so you need to kind of be, be prepared for all these different situations. Um, 
you don't want to be walking in cold. So that's why you want to map it out ahead of time. You want to have a really good understanding of what all these different variables are uh, before you start, you know, poking around in the accounts too hard. Absolutely. You know, you, you talk about something super important, I think, that people miss <clears throat> as they're selling their product, right? And it's persona-based selling. And it's making sure that you absolutely understand that persona. And so, like, what advice would you give people out there that, like, say they understand their persona, but, like, want to test it against themselves? Yeah. So, you know, I think that, like, you know, I think with, with the persona thing, a lot of it is like trial and error. You know, you, you kind of have to go in there and have some conversations before you can understand how all these different people behave. Now, you might be fortunate. You might enter a company that's already done all this work. They might already have this yeah. all mapped out, and, and, and that's great. But what I've had to do typically, because I work in like early stage companies, is, you know, you go in. I mean, you have, you, you, you have, an, you have a hypothesis, right? You build like a process, and you build, you build this out. You have a hypothesis. But you're constant, you're, you have to be open-minded to change. You have to be open-minded that whatever your original hypothesis is is going to be modified and tweaked over time. And sometimes you learn the hard way, you know, uh, in, in, in my business, there've been times where I've gone in and I started finding that it was the same person who was always the skeptic, the same title. And, you know, it, I didn't realize it right away. It was actually counterintuitive to me that it would be that persona that would be yeah. the skeptic. And I had to think to myself, well, why are they skeptical? Right. What, and, you know, I started to figure out why they were skeptical and what happens is you start to understand, okay, they're skeptical because, you know, they're fearful of this thing. And you, so what you want to do is you want to start getting out ahead of that, right? When you doc, talk to that persona. Um, or maybe you want to make sure that you don't talk to that persona right away in any deal. You know, you know that these are the people that kill it all the time. So let's try to keep them out of it as long as possible so that everyone else gets excited. And then by the time they get brought in, they have no choice but to be excited because they'd be the odd man out to uh, to not be excited, Right. So sure. I know it's a boring answer, but you really do have to kind of go in you, and you also have to be tracking all the data. Like if you're not, I'm not to sound like a boring, you know, hardo here, but you do need to be like putting the stuff in your CRM and you need to be very um, stringent. I would say with like having rev ops and, and like constantly being introspective about what's happening in your deals because in the startup game, speed is critical. And if you don't adapt quickly enough, you're you're out, you know? So you got to constantly be looking at what's going on in your deals, what's going on with the personas, and making modifications to how you sell. Um, and, and usually what you do is you look at industry benchmarks. You know, you look at how you're converting across different stages. And if you're meeting the industry benchmarks, great. And if you're not, then why? And what can you do to fix it? Um, so that's the way I look at it. Yeah, no, I think that's that's spot on, right? Like <clears throat> the only way that you're going to better understand the people that you're selling to is to have real conversations. And one thing that I like to do when I first go in to a company is like, let me talk to customers that have, that are buy, have bought our, pro our product that love it. But I want to also talk to people that didn't buy a product and I want to understand why they did Yep. Um, that a lot of times will tell me more than the people that did buy it that are using our product and are 100% in love. Um, and mo a lot of times when I'll have those conversations, people then sometimes restart the conversation and then re-enter the buying process. Um, but yeah, I love that. love that, Jeff. Jeff, what Thank kind you. of tools are you guys using uh, over there at Able to like help get you, in front of, get, you, get you in front of the right people and be able to prospect the way you are?
Yeah. So, you know, in the enterprise world, uh, you know, there's generally, there's a lot of qualification and a lot of making sure you're right fit at the right time. And so I think some of these intent data tools are very interesting. I know, you know, Zoom Info has great data, but there's also a couple other tools I've come across recently. One's called Aptivio, another one's called Sift AI. Um, interesting tools that can help you get signals on uh, what's going on in a different in companies, even based off things like job postings. You know, so for example, let's say I'm selling a you know to a company that um, you know they maybe I want to sell to a, a, a company that has a certain you know technology, or they they just yeah. implemented a new technology that would be a signal. Well, if they have a job posting that they're hiring someone to manage that technology. That'd be a good signal to me that like, maybe that's a good account I should go after right now. Right. So like these are some, there's some good tools out there that can help with like intent data, which I think is cool. We use Gong. I think Gong is a great tool. Um, I think Gong is great for even our product team just to get product feedback and like what's going on in the demos and the calls. And even for me to put together a business case so I can go back through all my discovery meetings and demos and kind of capture all the information and not have to be writing it down all the time just allows me to focus on what's going on with the customer getting uh you know call summaries and and stuff like that is really cool um i am a, an advisor to this company but we use it. it's called humantic ai gives me personality data on the prospects helps me understand how to sell to them which is pretty cool um we also use outreach um i'd say that that's probably the core of our our tech stack i, I like linkedin sales navigator i think it's a great tool um just for staying in touch with you know learning about what's going on in my accounts and and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Right. Like, I think, you know, you mentioned a lot of great tools out there. Um, I know for me, right. Like LinkedIn, super strong. You see somebody change a job, right. You can be super active. You can um, inform your prospects before you meet. Right. Like, so there's a lot of different um, ways to go about selling on LinkedIn that don't come off sales. Like. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's great for that. I think it's great for like, I mean, obviously it's a great way to like contact people, but I like building like lists with it too. Like I'm looking for a certain person with a certain title or like in certain accounts. Right. Um, pretty, pretty easy way for me to even just find the right people that I want to reach out to and do some basic research on them. Um, so yeah, I'm a big fan of it. You know, you've, you've been at a lot of early, um, early starting companies, like what advice would you give uh, a new sales leader that's coming into a, a you know, a startup environment? Um, and let's say like, you know, they're in their first 30 days. Like what advice would you give that person? Yeah. Expect the unexpected probably would be my best advice. I think if you're going to jump into a startup, you need to be ready to accept the risk. Uh, and part of accepting the risk is just understanding that things will change very quickly. And this was a mistake I made actually in my career, in the beginning of my career. When I joined that company I mentioned right out of college, they pivoted six months into the job. And what I mean by pivoted, like they changed products entirely. And I didn't even think that that was a thing that could happen. And I felt, (laughs) felt like offended by it. I was like, well, I just graduated college and I took a job to do this thing, but now you're changing it, you know? I, I took it like personally. I'm like, well, you can't just do this. I accepted a job to do that thing. You can't just like, I felt like they were like breaking their contract with me, but yeah, it turns out they yeah. can do whatever the hell they want to do. And, <laughs> um, you know, it was a big change. And I learned like, wow, like, you know, shit can really change quickly here in startup land. Right. And so, you know, you can pivot products entirely. You can pivot sales motion entirely. Um, 
you know, bad things can happen. I was at a company that got sued by a competitor. That sucked. You know, that wasn't fun. Um, you know, I, I've seen all sorts of crazy things happen in startups. You just, you, you have to be willing to, I mean, I've, I've been in companies where we had less than two months of runway left and we had to raise money and stuff like that, you know? So you have to be willing to really ride or die with and go down with the ship. And for some people, they, they can't do that. You know, some people like mentally, yeah. you know, Muhammad Ali says like everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that a lot of people are soft. It's just some people are just not prepared to be punched in the face at all. You know, they want to go work at, you know, a big company and being punched in the face at a big company is like just not landing a big deal or something, you know, like there's not a lot of big changes that tend to happen. Um, but in startups, you know, you want to go into an early stage startup, you need to be willing to let everything change constantly and be okay with it and not yeah. take it personally, not lose sleep at night about it, um, not panic when things go wrong, not get too excited when you do something good. You know, you need to be like really weathered and and tempered about everything you do. So, yeah, I love that. Love that. Well, man, one last question for you, Jeff. Um, when you leave this life, how do you want people to remember you? That's a great question. Um, you know, it's funny you ask. I'm like having a daughter in a couple months now. And so I'm thinking about kind of like the the father that I want to be and um, kind of the legacy that I would want to leave on others and, and whatnot. Um, I think the way that I'd want to be remembered is as somebody who tried to do his best to uplift other people. Um, you know, I, I was very fortunate growing up, came from a very good family, you know, had, I, I, I went to a private school, let's go to Princeton, right. Had all these like good experiences growing up. Um, but my high school's motto is like, from those to whom much has been given, much will be expected. It's a mantra that's like always stuck with me. Um, my pub, like the LLC I use as publisher for my books called much will be expected. So I try to give back, try to do like mentorship programs and sales. Obviously selling is all about like servicing the customer, things like that. Um, trying to enable others and, and trying to help others be successful. So I'd say that that's something that's pretty important for me. Yeah. I love that. Love that, man. Well, dude, congratulations on your, on your first child. Um, I hope she comes in this world um, smiling and crying at the same time. Um, I'm, I'm sure she will melt your heart the first time you, you lay, on her, lay, lay eyes on her. So I'm excited for you for that, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, man, this is another episode of How the Grades Do It. Jeff, we appreciate you.